You can turn over in your Bibles. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 to begin. There was one of the golfers who was on the pro tour some time ago, and he was a very pompous, egomatic with a emotional maturity of a six-year-old. He could do nothing wrong and always had a quick response or excuse for any loss. It was a lousy course. The other golfers were cheating. The weather was terrible, such things as that. As, they, as if these faults were not, not, not enough, he was also not above hustling a few extra dollars from other players in the amateur contest in the different cities. And sometimes he would get as much as 50 bucks a hole. One day he was approached by a man who was wearing dark glasses and carrying a white cane. They came to offer to play, play him for a $100 hole. He says, why, I can't play you. He said, you're blind, aren't you? The man said, yeah, I'm blind. But he said, that's not right that, that I would play you. You're blind. How are you going to play golf? But the man insisted that he wanted to play $100 a hole. So he said, all right, fine. I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and take your money. Um, but, you know, I just don't feel all that right about it. But if you insist, okay. So he, I agree. Well, the deal is $100 a hole. And so he said, uh, now all we need is a time to play. He says, uh, when do you want to play? He says, oh, I'm pretty open. Any night you want. Well, we're talking a little bit about blindness here tonight. Blindness. We've been going over different prayers that we need to pray and how we can pray more effectively for the things that we are praying for. We've looked at praying things for ourselves. We've looked at uh, praying for wisdom to overcome situations. We've looked at where most of our prayers should be. We should have more often times of prayer and thanksgiving than just asking for things. So we spent some time on, on that as well. We looked at uh, where we should spend most of our time in the prayer fellowship. Last uh, uh, two weeks ago, we were looking at the prayer fellowship. When we go to prayer for the purpose of fellowship, we should come away with a few things. First off, understanding, revelation, knowledge of God, communion with God. Uh, basically, we should grow. But even in this prayer, we need faith. Faith is involved even in the prayer of fellowship. If you're going to receive anything from God, it's going to require faith. Prayer for fellowship involves, we said tongues is the easiest area of fellowship to be involved with. Meditation, that's where you're just meditating, going over the scriptures. Uh, discussion, when you're actually discussing with God, God answers you, you're talking with him. That takes even a little bit more faith. And you can keep going on with other areas in that, but that gets you started. Last week, we we're looking at praying for other believers. There are different ways that we pray for other believers than we pray for those that are unsaved. We, uh, if we're going to be praying for other believers, we've got to know their condition, their spiritual and their physical condition. We've got to know their faith. What are they believing for? We've got to know their fight. What are they willing to do? What are they willing to, to go after? We've got to know their fight. We've got to pray the word, but not your emotions. Too often when we're praying for other people, even sometimes ourselves, but we're praying for other people, it is easy for us to get emotional or be led by our emotions instead of what the Word of God says. We're going to get into some of those areas even here as we, we look, at, look to this, praying for the unsaved. Because we should be praying for the unsaved. Does, uh, does the Word of God show us examples of people praying for unsaved? We ought to be praying for the unsaved. There are two problems to overcome according to the Word of God when we pray for the unsaved. The first one is they do not see. They're blind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, 
As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, condemning ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. When he talks about they're not handling the word of God deceitfully, that's when you know the word of God doesn't say something, but for your benefit, it should. And you try and teach it and you try and make the case for it to be that way because it benefits you and somehow uh, if you're going to do it deceitfully, then you must know something better. It's not talking about people that are misguided or people who don't know something. It's talking about de- deceiving. And there are people, believe it or not, they know better. They know that the word doesn't teach this, but they're going to go ahead and teach it that way anyway, because somehow it benefits them. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The gospel of Jesus Christ is veiled to those that are perishing. They don't see it. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So Satan has a stake in this. He wants to make sure we keep people from seeing the light of the gospel. When Brother Hagin used to teach us on this, he always taught us uh, what God told him and uh, taught us two things on this. And this, these are the two things that he uh, always would teach us. We've gone over these principles a number of times. We haven't actually spent a whole uh, Sunday or Wednesday on just these scriptures to deal with this for about a little just over five years. But we brought out these principles in a number of other times. But it's good for us to know this because the heart of God is to reach the unlost or the, the unsaved, the lost. And Satan is out to try and keep them blinded. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So he's trying to keep them away from seeing it. If they don't see it, then they won't, they won't know. And even those who were deceiving in their teaching of the word are trying to keep people from seeing the truth because the truth would take away what they want. That's why they're deceiving people in their teaching. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, just like in the book of Genesis, after the Lord created the worlds, the earth became formless and void. It wasn't created that way, but it became that way. And so out of that chaos, out of that darkness, he spoke and light came. In the same way as the earth was in darkness, in the same way, we've been in darkness. We were in darkness. And God came and brought that light in there. Oh, isn't it good to have the light on? So much nicer to have the light turned on. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So the unsaved here are in darkness. The people that are out there in the world, they are in darkness. That's why they can believe some of the things that they believe. Some of these folks that are in darkness to believe that the universe came into being by accident takes a great deal of faith. I've heard uh, Rick Renner has always used the example on, on this. Have you ever heard him teach on it? He says, if you take in a, a series of explosions and set it off of a junkyard, does a Mercedes come out? <laughs> well, all the parts are there, right? <laughs> but uh, you just can't throw them up in the air and have them come together in a random way and have something even as, as uh, simple as a Mercedes. I mean, that's simple compared to the universe. And God just spoke it and, and brought it about. I think it's astounding when you think of the universe and, and people are always trying to say science doesn't agree 
You know, you're either science or you're, you're religious. And that's not true at all. We, uh, how long did it take for us to develop the nuclear reactor? The, the nuclear reactor is based on how, now, maybe getting too much into technical things, too much into the schooling for some of you, but, you know, if you just bear with me for a minute. But the nuclear reactor is ba- based on nuclear fission, the dividing of atoms. And in the dividing of certain atoms, it releases energy, a tremendous amount of energy. And they can harness that. And it's, I mean, it's a tremendous amount of power. The problem with it is nuclear fission is that you have to keep supplying it with fuel. And you have your radioactive waste that comes. The best way to have a nuclear reactor is nuclear fusion, not fission. Nuclear fusion. But we don't have the technology to develop a nuclear fusion reaction reactor. You have almost no waste on a nuclear fusion and you don't have to keep adding fuel. It will keep on running. Now, if you, if you want, you can find a nuclear fusion reactor. It's called the sun. <laughs> the sun is a nuclear fusion reactor. The, God has made millions of nuclear fusion reactors. And they've burned for millions of years. And he just did it, you know. <laughs> that's how good God is. And we think we did pretty good because we got a nuclear fission reactor. But God has, has already made those. You don't think God doesn't know science? We still can't do what he did. <laughs> he did it better. He's done it. Oh, he's done tremendously well and all the things. But science works because there are laws. If there weren't laws, science wouldn't work. The only reason that you can have this, the science of science is because stuff follows rules. And science tries to discover what those rules are. And God put those rules in an operation. It takes more faith to believe some of these things that he didn't do than to think, believe the things that we do. We just believe that someone far smarter than us and far better at things at us and far more powerful built it all. That's all we got to believe. They got to believe that everything just happened to come together <laughs> to build millions and maybe even billions of nuclear fusion reactors that produce heat and gravity and keep everything in operation all over the universe. And it just keeps on going on. And that stuff doesn't keep running into each other. We don't have galaxies colliding with galaxies and suns colliding with suns. And I mean, that's amazing to have that much stuff up there and it's not running into itself. We put a couple of satellites up there and they run into each other every once in a while. But the unsaved, they're in darkness. They don't, they don't see this. We look at this and say, well, how, why is it so hard to believe that God exists? Why is that so difficult? And they'll give you a fight just to believe, just to even talk about, well, there's some master creator, some higher being, not even saying God, just a higher being. They'll give you a hard time about that because they're in darkness. One who is in darkness does not need to be blinded to be kept from seeing unless something comes along that can alter that condition. If you are stumbling around in a dark room, I mean, there is no light in that room at all. Have you ever been in absolute total darkness? It's hard to come by because there's always some light somewhere. You know, the stars give light. The moon gives light. Even at nighttime in your house, there is still light. There's light coming in from outside. There's light because there's stuff in the house that's giving light. But if you've ever been into a place where you can actually get to absolute total darkness, my first time experience absolute total darkness, at least that I remember, 
was uh, in a cave. And in this cave, they had it all lit up. And all underneath, you could see, they turned the lights on, you could see the water, because we were standing on water at the time. And, and um, you could see all in, in that. And, but you, you walk on, on into the cave, and they have the whole cave lit up, and you can see it. And they say, all right, we want you to experience total darkness. And they turned the lights out. And let me tell you what, it was total darkness. There was no light at all. No light got into the cave. It was completely dark. You could put your hand over your head, your, your face. You could blind yourself, but it didn't matter. You were blind anyway. You were in complete and total darkness. It's, it's, it's really kind of a, a neat experience. If you haven't been through that, you ought to go through it at least one time. Total darkness. Eyes open, but total darkness. But see, people who are blinded, or people who are in darkness don't need to be blinded. But they need to be blinded in case light comes in. So what happens is they are in darkness. Satan is not responsible for them being in darkness. He is responsible for them being blinded. Understand the difference. He's not responsible for them being in darkness. He's responsible for them being blinded. When you take authority over the devil, you can take authority over blindness, not darkness. You don't have authority over darkness. What you do with darkness is you bring in the light. When you bring in the light, the light chases out darkness. That's all we have to do. But the God of this world, Satan, has blinded those that are in darkness. We were born in the darkness. But God wants to bring us into light. So those born to believing parents are continually directed to the light. And those born to unbelieving parents pass on the same blindness that they have. They just keep passing it on. How many of y'all know kids of unsaved people, they begin to pattern after their unsaved parents? So likewise, the saved ones start to pattern themselves under their, their, their saved parents. I heard a, heard a story. One mother was uh, relating about her, her young boy. They were out at some uh, kind of candy giveaway thing. I don't know if it was, uh, I think it was uh, like a Easter egg hunt or something like that. Anyway, they were, they were dropping candy for the kids, but they had the ages mixed. So they had some older kids with the younger kids. And you know what happens when you have older kids going after candy with younger kids? How many can see what happens on that? <laughs> well, the, uh, poor people, the people who put it together didn't see what would happen. And so the, lot of the little kids were being pushed around and pushed out of the way, and the bigger kids were taking all the candy. And so the mother of this uh, little boy said um, uh, her, her little boy was over there, and he saw the little, other little kids crying. He was young. I mean, he was a little kid. Saw all the little kids crying, and he had some candy, and he asked his mom, Mom, can I give him some of mine? And, oh, isn't that neat? Isn't that neat instead of being one of the ones that's selfish? Why do, why do some people do that? Because some people have raised them up in such a way as to bring them to the light. Your children have been brought to the light. If you don't have any kids yet, and you're following after God, when you have the kids, you're going to be bringing them to the light. But unsaved parents bring their kids to darkness. So we are all born into darkness, but saved parents bring those kids to the light so that they can see things and they can understand some things. And so we're there to, to help that. But darkness comes in and keeps them from seeing. Because you see some things plainly, some things to you just like, well, this just makes sense. Why would you not go this way? Why would you not operate in this direction? Why would you... Go into all that. Because people that are unsaved, they think the only way that you can have fun is, uh, for some of them, is uh, drugs. For some of them, it's alcohol. For some of them, it's partying. For some of them, it's having nights where they can't remember what they did. 
And for people in darkness, this sounds like fun. For people in the light, you think, huh? That's, that's not knowing what you did. That's fun. Getting drunk so that you have a hangover the next day. That's fun. And we find much better things to do with God. We can come to church and we can have a, we look forward to going to church. We look forward to being in worship services together. We look forward to learning about the word of God. We look forward to times of prayer. We look forward to times of getting into the word of God because we have come to light and we're getting stuff out of it. But when you're in darkness, all that stuff, it's, it's, doesn't make sense. What is this? There was a time I was, uh, I think I've related this story to you before, but there was a supervisor I had over at Ken's Pizza. And when we were having the Winter Bible Seminars going on, uh, it was pretty early on that we had these. And it was one of my first experiences over there with it. I've been there a few times. But I was talking to about it over the people at work. And so my supervisor decided she wanted to come along. And so uh, we, we went on out there to the, to the meeting. And I still remember her ex- expressing, as soon as, she, as we got out of the car and stepped onto the parking lot, her words were, this is different. Wow, this place, it's just different. Now, she grew up in Tulsa. I didn't grow up in Tulsa, but she grew up in Tulsa. She goes, this is different. And, uh, you know, we didn't get there early enough because back then there was only had a 2,000-seated auditorium. And you had to get there uh, before. You had to get there early to get a seat in there, and we didn't get there early. And so we got there, and we got to go to the overflow room. And even in the overflow room, she was still... Oh, this place just, there's something different about this place. Just kept going on about that. After the meeting went on, you know, meetings, they, Brother Hagen was younger then. He'd have meetings that go on sometimes four hours, sometimes five. He'd just keep going. But, you know, as uh, he got older, he quit sooner. But he would go on later then. But not all the people would hang out as long. And so after a while, they would come on back and say, if some of you all want to go into the main room, you can. So we went over into the main room. And uh, so she got a firsthand taste of, of, of being in that. But, oh. It's, we get around the anointing of God and we just think, oh, this is just the way that it is. And we don't always know. We don't always, ah, ah, how is it with, with other places? How is it that, that other places don't, don't have this? I mean, you just because just you're in church doesn't mean you're in church. How many have been in a church? And dear Lord, it felt like you weren't even there. Man, nothing's going on in this place. There's nobody worshiping. Nobody seems to even like each other. I, I know I'm always on the on the prowl for for a new podcasts to listen to when I'm over there making the bunk beds and stuff like that. And so I, I download certain ones and uh, I just get disappointed sometimes because some of them, they don't crack the Bible at all. And I think, well, this is probably a bad Sunday. You know, maybe, maybe they just think maybe they're into something else. So I listen to another one. I sometimes listen to three or four. I'll give them uh, a, a, no, no word at all. I listen to one guy. We used to listen to him. When we were going down to Ramah. And uh, I thought oh, he was—he was always a good preacher, always a good, good guy in the word. Uh, he just didn't like charismatics. <laughs> that was his only problem. He just didn't like charismatics. Didn't like the idea of, of uh, Jesus being the healer. But outside of those two areas, he was pretty good. <laughs> and so we listened to him in those other two areas and try and get things from him. And uh, we would uh, a whole car of us. We would listen to it on the way over to Raymond. We listened to this guy, and every once in a while, he'd be in there bashing charismatics. But that's all right. <laughs> We just uh, we just smiled. We didn't get mad at him, and we would go on. But he would oh he would dig into the word. He was a good digger. He was up there, on a level with my pastor, Pastor Bobby Onion. Oh, he could dig stuff out of the word. He was good at it. 
And so I, I found out some podcasts with him, listened to him, didn't even open the Bible. I don't know what happened. I don't, again, I, I may have gotten on a couple of bad weeks, but I did about three or four of them, never opened the Bible. How do you have church and not open them? I don't understand how we do that. But there are places out there that you, you can have church and never open the Bible. Never get into it at all. And we can just get kind of used to it. We can get kind of used to the presence of God being in, in services and in worship services. And then when you get out of it, oh, wow, look at it. How is that over there? Whereas other people, when they first come into it, they have a different response. You think it's normal and they think, wow, what is this? But understand the people that are unsaved that you're going to be ministering to, you're, you're dealing with people that first off are in darkness. They don't see things as clearly as you do. And secondly, they're being blinded. Satan doesn't want them to see the truth because if they see the truth, they might believe. It's not for sure. <laughs> Some people can see the truth and they still don't believe, but they might believe. So he's going to try and keep them blinded. What you can do as a believer when you are playing, praying for the unsaved is that you can take authority. Satan, I take authority over you right now. In the name of Jesus, you will not blind them from the light. When the light comes to them, they will see it clear. They will see the light. It is their choice whether they decide to go the way of the light or the way of darkness. You cannot pray for their choice. Their choice is their choice. Don't get into the point where emotions take on and you want to get in there and tell people, oh, God, just have them, make them decide. God can't do that. That's not a wrong, that's not a right prayer. It's not an effective prayer. But you can take authority over the devil. Devil, you're blinding these people. And I will not tolerate that. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over their life right now. You get your hands off of them. And, and blindness is, you, you, can, you can hold that blindness at bay. You can't bring them into the light, but you can do something with the darkness. Now, once you do that and you dealt with the darkness, you're dealt with the, um, the blindness, that's not all. There's a second part that you've got to do with this. Because first off, their, their first problem is that they don't see. Their second problem is that they don't hear. First problem is they don't see. Second problem is they don't hear. And I don't mean hear as being able to perceive or understand. I mean hear. If, in order to become a believer, you got to hear. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 34, But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He's looking around there. He's looked at all these people and he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. That's not a good situation. Sheep, you know, they need a shepherd. They're not very smart animals. They need somebody to come along and help them. Uh, they tip over, they can't always get up, or, you know, they get in a ditch. They, they're, not, they're not very good. They can't protect themselves. I mean, they don't have horns. They don't really have teeth. Uh, they just kinda, they're just kind of bait. Anything wants to come on over, they can just get them. So they need a shepherd to be in there and kind of protect them and to help them and to guide them into the right places and to take them in the right spots. But he says he looks at these things and says, they're like sheep without shepherds. He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Do you look at the world as sheep without shepherds or do you look at them as wolves? 
See, when we look at them as wolves, we're aggressive to them. We're protective against them. We don't have compassion for them. We look at them as people that are trying to take stuff. But when you look at the people in the world as sheep without a shepherd, they're, they're going around where they are. They're in darkness. They don't see. They need somebody to help them. They need somebody to guide them. They need somebody to bring them into the truth. When you look at them that way, you'll have compassion for them. And you'll be a lot more moved to t- take part of your week, part of your days, be praying for them, be ministering to them. He says, this is what he tells his disciples about it. The harvest truly is plentiful. How many of you would argue with God about that? How many of you are about to say, you know what? There ain't no harvest out there at all. <laughs> These people, they don't want to hear nothing. I remember sometimes we can get kind of hard to this because every time we're out there talking to people about God, what do they do? They shut you down. They don't want to hear. And sometimes we'll hear Jesus say this, the harvest truly is plentiful. He didn't say the harvest is plentiful. He says the harvest truly is plentiful. He's trying to get this across to us. The harvest, it's out there and it's plentiful. We're thinking, man, there's nothing out there at all. (laughs) And because we think there's nothing, what do we do? We don't go harvest. Why would you go harvest when you don't think there's anything out there? When they had the gold rush over in California, why did so many people pick up and move? Because they thought there was gold. When word got out that there's not as much gold out there as people thought, what happened to people? They stopped going. If you don't think the harvest is plentiful, you don't go. So if Satan can discourage you and make you think the harvest isn't out there, people don't want to hear, then you're going to turn it off. Well, I don't really need to go out to the harvest. I mean, there's not really anything out there. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Well, they need to hear, and we need to be laborers. We need to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers. Father God, I need you to send out some people over here. Now, we're not just talking about generally, you know, Father, just send them out to a harvest. No, we're talking specific. If you're going to be praying, you've got to have some specifics because you've got to have some faith involved. In order for faith to be involved, you've got to have some specifics. How many of you have specific relatives, friends, neighbors, whoever it might be, specific people you know that are not saved, are on their way to hell, but you wish it would be different? That's a specific harvest, right? What you need to do is pray, Father God, after you first off, you take authority over them and then take authority over Satan in their lives. In the name of Jesus, Satan, you stop making them blind. You take your hands off of their eyes. They will see the light when it comes upon them. That's the first prayer you need to do. The second one is, Father, send laborers to so-and-so. Or just say the field. You got specific ones. You talk to Father God, I'm praying right now, send laborers to so-and-so. People that they will listen to, especially relatives. How many of you know relatives don't generally listen to relatives? <laughs> they got a good way of turning relatives off. Now, you still get in there and you minister. You still try and help them out, do all that you can. But understand, they're gonna, there's going to be a certain amount of wall that's going to be there. So uh, understand that. Still try and help. But then be praying, Father, send people along their path that they can hear from. Get some of your laborers in there to, to, to do something. Now, it's real good to pray this way. But you also have to be willing to be a laborer. Because God may need to send you into somebody else's field that they're praying for. 
So you let God send you into somebody else's field and God will take somebody else and direct him into your field. Now, why do you have to ask God to do this? Doesn't God want to? Why would in the world would you have to pray for God to do something he already wants to do? Well, we know from the word of God that he desires that half of the people in this world be saved. That most of the people in this world, God desires that most everybody in this world comes to a knowledge of the truth, right? Uh, what's the word of God say? All. Oh, he desires that all come. Does it happen? Just because God desires a thing doesn't mean that it happens. Did God desire that Adam and Eve not sin? Did God desire that Israel have a king? Just because God desires a thing doesn't mean it's going to happen. God's desire is not enough. He needs people that will pray. Didn't Jesus walk into towns where he desired to do miracles? And he couldn't because they shut it down. He could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. Not his. Because of their unbelief. The harvest truly is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is what the scripture says. You can argue with God when you get to heaven, but in the meantime, do what he says. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the field. If you have a field, a person, a group of people, pray specifically for them. First off, take your hands off of their eyes. They will see. And then secondly, you've, you've uh, made the field ready. Now, pray the Lord of the harvest send laborers into the field. Luke 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord had appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There we have it again. Everybody's sending them out. Two by two. All right, you go here, and you go here, and you go here. This is the laborers being sent out. Now, as we said, they do not hear. This is not an inability to perceive. This is just a lack of hearing. It comes from a lack of messengers or preachers. We're talking both ministry office and obedient servants. People that are going to go out and spread the message of the gospel. We need to we need to go out and spread the message. I didn't copy this into my outline. If you can pull up Romans 1.18, we're going to go through verse 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Hold it right there. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Who does ungodliness? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Men are capable of ungodliness and unrighteousness who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They take what is true and they suppress it. They willingly suppress the truth because the truth is inconvenient. They'd rather promote a lie. They'd rather do something that's not helping the situation. The wrath of God is revealed. One thing you've got to understand is that God has wrath against men who are of unrighteousness, who are of ungodliness, 
and who suppress the truth. God is against them. When you come and you pray for some people, you've got to understand that some people have put themselves in a place where God is against them. Doesn't mean he'll be against them forever. If they turn and they repent, was God against Paul when he was Saul going around killing people? He was against them. Let's go on to verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Now, here's the key. These people are out there. The truth has been made known to them, and they suppressed it. They suppressed it. They put it down because the truth does not promote what they want. The people that are involved in global warming are involved in this. They suppress the truth because they want to promote something even though the evidence isn't there. Even though there's evidence that they're wrong. Any opportunity they get. If you get a big storm, what's, the, what's it the fault of? Global warming. If you have no storm, what is the fault of? If you have too much rain... If you have not enough rain, it's all the fault of that. No matter what happens, it's its fault. And there's no data to support it. And the data that they did have was fudged. But the biggest change they can get is like a degree or two. Over 50 years, they've been able to measure stuff and they can't, that doesn't change much. Actually, right now it's going back down. It's been going back down for a number of years. But they can't promote that because it's not in line with their agenda. What they want right now is to use this agenda to control people. And so they're trying to control people's actions by hiding behind this falseness, even though they know it's not true. And if you ever come against them and trying to debate them in the thing, they just shut it down. We've told you the evidence before on the, on the thing. One of any of the top 10 volcanic eruptions over the last 50, 100 years, any one of them puts out more global warming gases, as they call them, than all the cars ever made since cars have been made. All of them. In one eruption. And what happens to it after it erupts? It affects the weather for a couple of days, maybe a week or so, and then it goes back to normal. Because the earth is phenomenal at taking care of this stuff. If oil gets spilled out in the ocean, what happens to it? The ocean eats it. The ocean eats everything. God put made the ocean that way. You cannot put anything in the ocean and it stay there. The ocean will eat it. It eats metal. It eats all. It just eats stuff. If you put oil in the ocean, it will eat it. I've heard the, the stat before that more oil seeps from the ocean floor than we've ever spilled. Then you know what happens to it? It eats it. Remember that big oil spill they had in the Gulf? You know, they're out there trying to sue these people and get money here and all that sort of stuff. And they said, there's a huge amount of oil. Did they ever find it? You know what happened to it? It got eaten. Ocean eats it. Ocean eats everything. It's God made one incredible body of water out there. They can just eat stuff up. We could, we dumped garbage in it for a long time. You know what it did? Ate it up. <laughs> I don't promote dumping garbage in the ocean. I don't think that's a, a good idea of, of uh, things to do. And we saw some stuff wash on shore that wasn't necessarily good. But don't buy into this. They suppress truth in order to promote things like this. Because the truth is inconvenient to them. You could, uh, you could stand there and, and quote stats to them all day long. They don't care about the stats. 
They don't care about the truth. They suppress it. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. People have been shown the things of God, and they have shut it down. You know what God does with them? These are people who have shut it down and deliberately deceive other people into thinking those things are not true. That's why God's a little angry at them. Go on to the next one. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. People can look around this world and you got to understand there's order in this world. Life came from somewhere and eventually you've got to come and solve that answer. What, how did it come? How did this whole universe come about? You're going to have to come up with an answer for that. I, you know, I was always laugh at the people who are out there and they say, well, you know, everybody comes up with their own answer for who God is. And that may be true. You may, everybody does come up with their own answer. Um, and you don't have to answer to me. But if there is a God and we believe that there is a God, then when you die and you face him, whose rules does he judge you by? The ones that you figured out or his? <laughs> He's going to do his. For since the creation of the world, that's a long time. His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Even scientists, as much as they want to, some of them try and deny God, not all of them, but the ones who try and deny God have seen evidence that God exists and have denied it and suppressed it. Go on to verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. They're not only in darkness, but the darkness is getting in them. Their hearts are darkened. You see the difference on that? You're born in darkness, but this is talking about people that the darkness got inside. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. You can know God and not glorify him as God. And when you do that, then you, you come into a, a judgment side of God. God says, if I am God, act like I'm God. Don't act like you're God. And I'm just along for the ride. Nor worth thankful. I'll tell you what, most of these people I've seen that are in this, they don't have a thankful attitude. It's always about what they should have and what they should get and what you should do for them. But became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Doesn't this describe some of the people we hear in the news today? Don't they profess themselves to be wise and themselves to be fools? The Al Gores of the world who go around from place to place talking about how global warming is going to destroy the world and we all need to get more conservative. And he's got this huge house. And inside that house, they've had pictures of him with four or five different monitors up. And he's flying all over the place. And if he really believed that the things that he was touting were true, he'd be riding a bicycle. He wouldn't be having four or five monitors in his house. He wouldn't be having a super big footprint in a, house, a large house. If he truly believed it. He doesn't believe it. But he promotes it. They profess to be wise, but they become fools. And they hang on to these teachings for so much, so, so long. They try so hard to hang on to these things and to push them in people. But they, 
to us who are in light, they look like fools. Go on to the next verse. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. The people that are in this mindset will do more to protect an animal than a person. These people will do all will go all through all kinds of stuff to protect the spotted owl, to protect the little fish down in California that they can't water the fields for, and and uh, people are not having food, and orchards are dying, but the little fish might be hurt if we if we did this. We honor these things, and these same people promote the slaughter of human beings. First off, in their infancies, in the area of abortion. And then secondly, when they get older, well, we just need to let them die with dignity. There is more honor in the birds, in the four-footed animals, in the creeping things on the earth than there is for people. The word, this world was made for whom? People. It was not made for the others. Now, we were supposed to be here to take care of them and do good things for them and help them out, and, and, and we generally do. Some people are not that way. But what he's saying is you don't, be watch, you don't be worshiping them. These folks worship the four-footed creatures, the birds, and the creeping things, and they slaughter man. And this is wrong. This is not God. Verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in their lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And they generally all are doing things with their bodies that they should not be doing. He goes on talks in verse 25. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. They exchanged it. Understand what this is. I have the truth. You have to be in possession of something in order to exchange it. They have the truth. And they exchange it for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature. Rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. (laughs) When you see these folks out there. That do more to promote the creature. Instead of God, they are people who have exchanged the truth for a lie. The word of God right here identifies them. If you see people who do this, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to question. You don't have to figure it out. They are people who have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They were in darkness. Satan did blind their eyes, but he doesn't have to blind their eyes anymore. Because they have turned their nose up to the truth. They had the truth and they exchanged it for a lie. There are people that are out there like this. That's why you best better watch out who you hang out with. Who you listen to. The news media people. I mean, get them out of your, get them out of your house. They are not helping you. They stir up things for dissension and for problems. I heard, I had a story in here a couple of weeks ago. I actually had to written out. I don't think I have it here anymore. But you can look it up. There was, just when the whole thing was going on with the election, just to show you how biased the news media is, which I'm sure you already know, there were 59 uh, voter districts in Pennsylvania, in the Philadelphia area, that had zero votes for Mitt Romney and went 100% for President Obama. There were almost as many, I think just a few less, in Ohio. Exactly the same thing. 100% went to President Obama. In these counties in Philadelphia, they were the same ones in which the Republicans were kicked out for a number of hours 
until the judge ruled. They were kicked out by the Democrats. Until the judge ruled. You can look it up. It's in the Philadelphia Inquirer. Even the Inquirer covered it. Until the judge ruled, they had to let them back in. But for a few hours, they were out. They were not allowed to be in there. And in those districts, they went 100% in one direction. Chavez doesn't get 100%. Dictators don't get 100%. 100% went that way. You know where the news media was covering? They covered this issue. You know where they covered it? Clark County, Texas. Because in Clark County, Texas, out of 147 people, five of them, only five of them, voted for President Obama. And that's where they were. Does that sound right to you? They are biased. They knew exactly the stuff that I told you, but that's not worthy of being covered. There is a bias that is there. Don't bring it in. These are people who have exchanged the truth for a lie. They are not honoring God, and they will put forth whatever they can to try and dishonor God. They will try and dishonor people of God whenever they can, in any way that they can. They don't care about the truth. They don't even care so much about selling stuff. They care about an agenda. And they're as anti-God in their agenda as they have ever been. Keep them out of your house. Don't listen to them. There are people out there that you can, in the news, that you can listen to, and they will help you. How many have ever turned into 700 Club or CBN or some places like that? I go over there every once in a while and, and listen to some news or some coverage that's going on. I may go. There's some other places I have as well that I can get the, more of the God perspective on it. I am careful, though, because CBN sometimes brings in things from the AP. I don't know why. But I always go, I go down to the, before I read an article, I look at who wrote it. If it comes from the AP, it's out of my house. I, I, don't, I don't read it. Don't waste your time. They are the most biased news organization, and they, are, they feed so many of them. You don't need this. This is why we expose this to you all the time, though. These are people who have, ex, who have exchanged the truth for a lie. And then they go out and they try and sell stuff to people. Same group of people that are trying to turn the rich against the poor, trying to give you the false information on taxes and so forth. Don't listen to them. We get through all that. We got through all the verses. God will judge everyone based on the revelation they have received, but they all have received revelation of his invisible attributes. They all have received revelation. They may not have all the ins and outs of the crucifixion and what Jesus did, but they all have received revelation. The more that they hear, the more they can reject, but it's better for them to have an opportunity. Go out there and give them that opportunity. Be speaking the truth to them. Make sure that you're not on the, on the line to, be, to begin with. So they reject what they do not know. They reject what they do not know. In Romans 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Who is Paul's ministry to? The Gentiles. But look what he says. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. So who's he praying for? Unsaved Jewish people right here. I'm sure he's praying for unsaved Gentile people too. But right now he's talking about unsaved Jewish people that he's praying for. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Well, he had a zeal for God, but it was not based on knowledge. So he can bear witness with that. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And this speaks to what the world does. 
The world is trying to push God out, and we're not that bad. We haven't done anything so awful. Why would God send us to hell? For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. There's a submission that you need to... didn't say line up with. didn't say become, even. It just said submit to it. Well, they don't want to submit to any of that sort of stuff. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Remember we're talking about faith and the ignition and all that sort of stuff? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There are two parts that you need to follow in order to be born again. Zeal for God is not enough. It's got to be teamed up. First off, there is knowledge. Knowledge. You have to know what God has said. Verse um. Go back to verse 2. For I bear them a witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. You've got to have knowledge, and then you've got to submit. You've got to submit to what God says to do. This is what the people need, need to do. Want to get born again. They need to fall into that. That if you confess, verse 9 again, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So two parts here. First off, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Those are the two parts that people need to do to get saved. You cannot do one and not the other. Both are required. If you believe in your heart but don't confess it with your mouth, you are not saved. If you confess it with your mouth but don't believe it in your heart, you're really not saved. you got to do both. Believe it in your heart. First off, and when God said Jesus Christ came on this earth to die on the cross for your sins, I believe that. But then you have to go beyond just believing that. you got to say it with your mouth. There's a lot of people who say, well, I believe that God did that, but they won't go out and say anything about it. And Jesus said in his word, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father. If you do not confess me before men, neither will I confess you before my father. So if you don't have the confession, but supposedly you had the belief, what happens? They don't work. Think of your car battery. On that, you, you got your car battery. What do you have in your car battery? You have two, two ports in that thing, right? You have a positive and you have a negative. What happens if you disconnect the negative? They won't work. What happens if you reconnect the negative and disconnect the positive? It won't work. It's got to have both things on at the same time, right? In order for, for that car to start, both have to be on. In order for you to get saved, both have to be on. Confession and belief. I've got to believe what God said, and then I need to confess it. I need to speak it out of my mouth before men. Both of those things are required. For with the heart, one believes in the righteousness, and with the mouth, 
confession is made unto salvation. Heart, mouth, belief, confess. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of good peace. Or gospel of peace. Who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say... Have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out into all the earth, all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. There are things that are out there right now for the world to respond to. But you also are one of them. And you are going to be speaking some things. You're going to be saying some things, into, speak, speaking some things into their lives as a harvester. And God will give you some of those words to speak. God will tell you what things to say. And just because they don't receive it doesn't mean you didn't follow what God said to do. Go out there and you say what God says to say. They may reject it. They may accept it. It's okay. But this is what has to, you need to go out there and do, you got to start the process. Constantly in the word of God, there is a process that has been started. When God created the earth, he spoke his word and things responded. It seems like so many things start with the word of God either the written word of God or the spoken word of God. All of creation was was started by this spoken word of God. When we believe God in prayer for a thing, it starts by the written word of God, sometimes by the spoken word of God. We hear the word of God and we respond to it in faith and receive. The word of God says, Jesus teaches us in Mark, whatsoever things you pray, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So the word comes from God to say, you can pray for this, you can ask for this, and then I have a response to it, a belief to it. When that happens, we then pray and we shall have the things that we ask for, that we pray. We saw in the word of God that he said, when you get into trouble and you mess up and you sin, his word tells us what to do with that, right? What's his word tell us for us to do? Go out there and work really hard and be really good to a lot of people. Give lots of money. No, what's he say? Confess. If I confess my sin before him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I hear that word. I see I have a need and I believe that word and I respond to it and forgiveness comes. So we see that prayer gets answered by faith. We have... um, Forgiveness that comes simply because we believe or simply because we believe his word and we respond and we confess. Well, the unsaved here, they become saved or they believe. They believe, the, they, be, they believe in the gospel and become saved. They act on what they hear. So the, re, the word comes, the word res, causes a response in us. When we respond, this starts things off. So the word starts people to... Get, become saved. The word starts people to pray and ask for things. The word starts people to restore fellowship with God 
The word starts all sorts of stuff. The word comes, we believe it, and we respond to it. But the word can also come, and I not believe it, and I resist it. And that creates a response as well. And it also has implications and actions. The people that you are praying for that are unsaved are in this type of responses. They're either responding positively or they're responding negatively. What you have to do when you pray for the unsaved is keep your prayers scriptural. Keep your prayers in line with the word of God. The word of God does not say that you can remove them from darkness. It says you can take authority over the one who has blinded them. It says that you can send harvesters, laborers into the field to bring the light to them. And so you pray for these things. You go after what you can pray for. But too many times we pray for the unsaved and we look at their, the tough times they're in. How many of you know unsaved people and they're going through some hard times? We let our emotions pull us into a place where we pray for their hard times. Oh, Father, they're really going through some things. I just know if you just help them in this situation, that they will turn and they'll believe in you. Uh-huh. Where's that found in the Word of God? See, it's not. Faith in the things of God is based on what He says in my response to it. I want to get a response of things that I want to be true. And that's not right. You need to believe what He said Hold on to those things that he said. Father, you said that I can do this. You said that I can pray this way. And you pray that way. But you don't pray with your emotions. Your emotions are saying, oh, they need a job. Oh, but they, they just need this situation. To, to, you know, they're, they're going into prison because they killed somebody. That just needs to go away. No, <laughs> you're going to have consequences to your actions, saved or unsaved. You cannot pray those things away. What you can do is what the Word of God tells you to do. What's, what's more important to God? That the people's lives become easier or that they get born again? Oh, that they get born again. But we often want to pray for their lives to become easier, thinking that if they become easier, then they'll turn over the lives over to God. And they won't. What you do is you pray what God said. This is what God is saying. The way I've set things up, this is what I can do. Now, you ask me, you give me an open door by asking me, and I can come in here and do that, but I'm waiting for you to give me the open door. But we want to give them these open doors for these other areas. I can't do that. That's not the stuff I said I can do. I said I can do these things over here. But we want him to mess with these areas over here. I want him to start, you know, making them to be rich and overcome their, their finances and have all their emotional troubles go away and not be t- tormented with fear anger and all this sort of stuff. No, those are all a result of not following after God. You got to get them to follow after God first. You know why they got fired at their last job? Probably because they weren't following after the principles and the word of God. They weren't doing the thing right. That's a lot of times why people get fired. Not all the only reason they got fired. Another reason might be that the company wasn't doing so well. Why? Because there's no believers there. Get that guy to be a believer. Get that gal to be a believer. Bring prosperity into that job. They won't get rid of them. We want to pray for things that we feel God ought to do instead of what the word tells us he will do. And then we pray and there's no faith on it. We have faith in what we think should happen. But God wants us to have faith in what he said would happen. 
That's where we get ourselves into trouble. And we pray for stuff that God never said he would or could do. It doesn't happen. And then we get mad at God because God hasn't come through. And it affects our faith in our prayers for the areas where God said, I can, I can work here, but now I'm mad at God. Because God hasn't done what I wanted him to do. Because we're looking at these people. We're not seeing them as people that have exchanged, some of the people anyway. We're not seeing them as people that have exchanged the truth for a lie. We're seeing them, oh, they need you, God. When Jesus, you, you go through the word of God. Boy, I tell you, we had time. <laughs> if you go through the word of God, Jesus dealt differently. Paul dealt differently. Peter dealt differently with people who exchanged the truth for a lie than he did with people that were ignorant. I can tell you that right, part right there. If you can, you can go through the word of God and find it yourself. They dealt differently with it. Hymaeus, remember him? That was a person who exchanged the truth. How did Paul deal with him? Oh, he's just confused. Uh, he, oh, God, just help him out. No, what do you do? I'm praying for the destruction of the body, <laughs> that his spirit may be saved in the end. How did Jesus deal with the Pharisees? The Pharisees are people who exchanged the truth for a lie. How did he deal with them? You know what? I'm going to teach around you guys who didn't hear this anymore. John the Baptist, you've made yourself twice or one Jesus may have said, twice as fit for hell as you are yourselves. John the Baptist said, you broad of vipers. Who told you to repent? <laughs> He's mad because they came out. Why? Because they exchanged. They dealt differently with people who exchanged. If you don't have the heart of God in prayer, you won't. If you have the heart of Stephen, if you have the heart of yourself, I say Stephen because that's me. <laughs> Not Stephen in the Bible. I don't think that. <laughs> if you have the heart of yourself, then you pray things that you want to come about, not what God wants. God has a different attitude to people who have exchanged the truth, whether they are in ministry or whether they are not. But people who have exchanged the truth for a lie face a different God. Do you remember that Jesus gives that parable of the neighbor who comes over? Guys who got the bread, pounds on the door. And the guy who's got the bread inside, you know why he's got always got bread? Because he represents God, represents Jesus. That's why he always has bread. And that's why he came over. God knows this guy's always got bread. And he came on over to help out for this, this one. And what does he reach inside? A hostile person. I'm not, I'm not getting up out of bed. Mm-mm. You think God's ever hostile toward people? Ask Moses. He'll tell you. Man, God, he's ready to kill out. He's ready to kill billions of people, millions of people. Just wipe them right out. He's hostile. Was he hostile to the people in Canaan? Joshua, go in there and kill them all. <laughs> Is that hostile? When the armies came out against Israel, what did God say? Oh, you poor deceived people. Oh, won't you just go home? Just go home. I don't want to hurt you. What's he say? What's he do? You stand back because I'm going to wipe them out right now. <laughs> when they rose up against Moses, sons of Korah, the guys with the strange fire, what happened? Y'all better get back from them. I'm, re- I'm getting ready to move. Y'all better get back. And what's God do? Opens up the earth, calls down fire. People come up against Elijah, try and kill him. What's he do? If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and burn you all up. And what happened? <laughs> Where'd the fire come from? Who sent it? Did God send fire on people he wasn't hostile to? <laughs> 
you got to understand, you sometimes are dealing with a hostile God. When you get an intercession, you sometimes deal with a God who is against them because he's for his people. So much more we can get into all that. Anyway, salvation is the combination of our heart believing and our mouth confessing. Both things need to be going on. Our heart believing and our mouth confessing. We cannot just be heart believers. We cannot just be mouth confessors. We have to be heart believers and mouth confessors. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It does not say to pray for them to change. Put three things in here. You can probably put more in there too. I put it change, stop, or become. It does not say, oh, Father God, have them change. Have them stop doing that. Have them become. It doesn't say to ever do that. They change, they stop, and they become when they become born again. And God begins to deal with them. That's called sanctification. But you cannot pray that somebody stop, somebody change, and somebody become. That's not your area of prayer. If you're wasting time in that area of prayer, just understand I'm wasting time. This is not, not something you can do. You got to give it up. Well, I just, I just, they need to change. Oh, Father, they just change their heart so that they open up. And God doesn't do that. What He will do is He'll send people on their path that will hear. It's still their choice whether they're going to do it or not. I put in your outline: Everyone can be saved, but not everyone will be saved. Everyone can be saved, but not everyone will be saved. They need to believe, not be made to believe. They need to believe. That's up to them. They got to believe it. I got a story here I want to close this out on. It's a story called Two Horses. Just up the road from my home is a field where two horses with two horses in it. From a distance, each looks like every other horse. But if you stop your car or are walking by, you will notice something quite amazing. Looking into the eyes of one horse will disclose that he is blind. His owner has chosen not to have him put down, but has made a good home for him. This alone is amazing. If nearby and listening, you will hear the sound of a bell. Looking around for the source of the sound, you will see that it comes from the smaller horse in the field. Attached to her halter is a small bell. It lets her blind friend know where she is so he can follow her. As you stand and watch these two friends, you will see how she is always checking on him and that he will listen for her bell and then slowly walk to where she is, trusting that she will not lead him astray. When she returns to the shelter of the barn each, each evening, she stops occasionally and looks back, making sure her friend isn't too far behind to hear the bell. Isn't that a neat story? You are people in this world. You are their bell. They need to follow you to the gospel. They need to follow you to the light. They need to hear the bell that you're ringing. You need to become vocal with it. You need to speak out. You need to confess that Jesus is Lord. You need to say what's going on, what Jesus is doing in your life. You need to believe the things, and you need to confess them. And you need to be that bell. There are people around you that others in other parts of the country, state, maybe even the world, have prayed, Father, send someone into my friends, into my relative's life. And you are that person. You are their bell. 
And then you are going to pray. Father, send somebody into my so-and-so's life, my friend's life, my relative's life. And you would have sown seeds of being that person. And when you sow seeds, what do you reap? We reap a harvest. You see, the problem is we're not sowing as many seeds. We need to sow. I need to be willing to be the one who is sent. And that opens up the door for God to send others. You want a case on that? God wanted to send his only son into this world to save sinners. In order to do that, what did he need? He needed someone on this earth who was willing to give up their only son. And when he found it in Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I need you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham went all the way up to the mountain to sacrifice him and got stopped and said, that's all. I just needed you to be willing. Because you were willing, you're going to go through with it. (laughs) Because you were willing to give your son, I can give mine now. That's a spiritual concept. If you want people to be released into the people that you love, if you want God to be able to have that open door, then be that open door for others. Pray. Yes, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. How do most people pray for unsaved relatives? Oh, God, they're really not that bad. Oh, I love them so much. Would you please get into, oh, just, if you just do something really strong, if you just really, you know, uh, shake them up, if you just, oh, just. And we sit there begging and pleading. That's not in the word of God. What's in the word of God? Take authority over the devil in their life for blinding their eyes to see the light of the gospel. And then release the laborers. Father, send laborers into so-and-so's life. How long does that take to pray? (laughs) Not very long, does it? No. You know what takes long? I told you this before. Unbelief takes a long time to pray. Faith takes very little. The longer your prayer for anything gives you more of a chance to have unbelief in it. The shorter your prayer, the less likely. Because after you've prayed the word, There isn't too much else to pray except unbelief. Get into a place where you're trying to convince God to do the good thing for you. Where you're trying to beg God. Trying to earn it. Trying to get there in a place of works instead of a place of faith. More often we are better suited with short prayers than with long ones. Of course, our exception is the prayer of fellowship. You can spend all day in that one if you want to. But these other ones, spend shorter amounts of time. Do what the Word of God says and stop doing all the other extra stuff. If you ever listened to Brother Hagin on this, he would talk about how he prayed for some relatives for many years, 10, 15 years, saw no action at all, got hold of these principles, and within months he saw differences in their lives. Some of them came to, to God, relatives of his, they were hard to the gospel, and they came to the knowledge of the truth. Do what God says to pray. Don't do it your own way. Do it the way God says. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you that in all areas of prayer, you have instructed us. You have told us how we can be effective. We just need to believe it and have faith for it. We all know that there are unsaved people that are around us. And we want to pray for them to bring them into the kingdom. We want to see them on the other side. Their friends, their loved ones, their relatives. They're just people who mean a lot to us. And we really want to see them on the other side. They're not always responsive to the things that we say. But we can follow what you say in your word. We can take authority over the devil in their life for blinding them to the truth. And 
we can pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into that field. Father, we will do these things that you said in your word that you told us to do. And we will have faith to believe changes will come about. There are some people who will not accept the truth. There are some people who will exchange the truth for a lie. There are just people out there that will do that. But there are many more who would not. For the words of Jesus are that the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Father, we answer the call even today to be laborers, to be ones who will follow after you. With every head bowed still as we continue to pray, I'm going to ask two things for you to be challenged on here today. First off, if you have not been as much of a laborer in the past, but you will commit yourself, I'm going to be more of a laborer for God. I'm going to be willing to speak and to say and to do. Raise your hand up. Say before God, Father God, I am ready to be a laborer for you. Or more so than I have in the past, I am going to speak your word. Great. That is good to see. If you're here today and you say, I have not received Jesus Christ as my Savior, I haven't turned my life over to him yet. <laughs> Let's take care of that problem first. You can receive from him. If you would like to receive Jesus Christ in your life today, raise your hand. We'd like to pray for you. Father God, you saw the hands that were raised up here that we have committed ourselves to be people that will be laborers for you, workers in your kingdom. We will pray effectively. We will pray what your word said, not what our emotions tell us. We thank you, Father, for the wisdom that you give us in, in prayer, the wisdom that you give us in the word. And when we're out there being laborers in your field, you will give us words to speak to those we come in contact with, just as Jesus was given words to speak to the woman at the well, and great things came out of it. Just as words were given to the... Um, now, Philip, when he was ministering to the one in the wagon, words were given. Just as words were given to Peter when he was called over to the Gentiles' home, words will be given to us. We don't have to be concerned with it. But you will use what we have on the inside. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like to hear some testimonies of the things that you're doing. Even if people don't receive everything, even if you don't have people who got born again, if you have an opportunity to share the light of the gospel with people, let people, let, let folks know. You know, write it out, uh, talk about it here on Sunday, whatever you, whatever you can. Just let people know that you are going out there with the, and laboring, helping people to hear.